Hi, my loves. Thanks for listening to episode one of the Love Her podcast. Today, I'll be interviewing Mayor Tiffany Worthy of Willingboro, New Jersey. Enjoy. How long have you been mayor for of Willingboro? Oh, wow. So I was actually selected by the council January 1st, 2020. And in Willingboro, uh, the council selects who the mayor will be each time. So right. the, t the term is just one year, and each year you're selected. So I got selected January 1st, uh, 2020, mm -hmm. and then selected again January 1st, 2021. All right. Yes. So this is your second term? Yes, yeah, second basically. term as mayor. Has there, how many black female mayors have there been, do you know of, in Willowboro? <sighs> wow, so I know one personally, yeah. uh, and I've met another, yeah. uh, but I don't, I, that's something I really, you know, could look into and see, but I know of two. Right. Um, that two living that are, that are still around and active and helpful, uh -huh. uh, that are still in our community. I think that's a great thing. I've noticed that Willingboro, I grew up here mm -hmm. most of my life. Wait, what part? Oh, all right, let's listen. <laughs> We're not going to judge. <laughs> no judgment. We're not no going to judge. No judgment. I'm from Buckingham. Okay. okay. I, have, I have friends in Buckingham. <laughs> you know people in Buckingham. I know people in Buckingham. <laughs> Come on. I'm not judging. I'm from Buckingham. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but <laughs> growing up in Buckingham, I just always notice um, a sense of community in Buckingham. And I think it, it, was, it was one of my favorite things. Mm -hmm. I always had, you know, Mr. Lloyd, uh, Mr. Floyd. Mr. Floyd. Mr. Floyd. <laughs> I know Mr. Floyd. <laughs> Mr. Floyd lives right down the street from me. Wow. So Mr. Floyd, and I went to school with his daughter, and, and um, he was such a community man. Just and the, still is. Still is. The concerned yes. citizens of Buckingham Park. Yes, that's right. So, and it's, it was so beautiful to see, you know, just a black man take the lead mm -hmm. on being concerned about the community. And even in Willowboro being, when I looked up the stats, we were over 70% African-American. That's right. And I'm like, wow. To, to see a, a small black community just like be still thriving and overcoming segregation. When you look at Mr. W.R. James and what he had to do for us mm -hmm. to, to even have the right to still live here, regardless of what level and sons. Right, what they intended. What they intended to mm -hmm. do to continue mm -hmm. to keep it segregated. Um, I look at that and I was like, wow, that leadership there in terms of Levitt and Sons is a great example of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. If people don't realize that, I think they like tend to overlook it. Right. And I'm like, if you look into segregation or redlining, it went well into the 90s mm -hmm. for many areas. And when I look at that leadership, I'm like, man, if they can do it on this level on small scale Willemborough or say Bristol or Levittown, right. you know, PA, I'm like, what does it look like in the corporate world when CEOs, when Fortune 500 CEOs keeps people of color from not coming to the top? Right. And right. so when I read about you initially, I read like you went to West Point. And so in West Point, it wasn't so much, I was reading that you said, it wasn't so much about the male machismo attitude mm -hmm. that men had, but the focus was really about you being the black girl in the center of a lot of this whiteness. Yes. And how people would say for you to sing, 
or for you to dance like in front of people to show how black you are, how mm -hmm. talented you are. So what did, what did that feel like in West Point? Right. So, you know, it actually was, I had mixed feelings. Mm -hmm. um, my mother was um, an off-Broadway dancer. Mm -hmm. I grew up on the stage doing plays and performing. Um, so as much as I loved to perform, I knew that the, these performances were different. Mm. And um, it was very contrived. And to have people looking out their doors and just watching you perform during a time that you should be studying, during a time where you should be preparing for exams mm -hmm. and getting the knowledge that you needed, that you really needed to succeed at the academy, it was, um, it was very frustrating. And um, I did what I needed to do. I sang enough and I danced enough, I did, because I needed to make it. I needed to be able to satisfy that and move forward to doing what I needed to do, which was get back to my room to study so I could ultimately graduate. Unfortunately, at the academy, we get, um, you'd have a lot of African-Americans that would come in but couldn't graduate. Why? And because you get weeded out, because you get hazed, you know, they don't like to say that word anymore, but call um, it, what it, is. <laughs> it was hazing. Yeah. And um, it would eliminate you because it would wear, it could just wear you out more psychologically than physically. And people would say, I just, I'm not going to deal with this. Yeah. I'm not going to put up with this. And they would opt out um, while others would try to stay and make it and then academically, they may fail. They, yeah, they just flame out. And so I said, that won't be me. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather had a PhD in mathematics. My mother was on a scholarship and graduated from Adelphi University. I am third generation college. I will not be defeated by the system. Mm -hmm. I will prevail and I will make it. So making it for me meant a little singing and dancing, if you will, no mm -hmm. problem. I will sing to be young, gifted, and black. I will sing, lift every voice Come and on. sing. And then they say, okay, enough, enough. No. Okay, oh. enough. Oh, the enough. national anthem? I'm going to teach you mine, though. <laughs> so it was, um, it was a journey, you know, with a collection of those experiences created who you see today. And um, I've learned a lot, and I grew through the experiences that I had at West Point, despite the systemic racism, uh, despite the challenges that were intentionally thwarting my path. I graduated um, successfully, and, and I, I love the fact that I can say, no, I didn't go to West Point. I graduated from West Point. I know, that's right. So you talk about like what happened at West Point and the reason why I focus on leadership is because you have all these, and I'm sorry, these are not microaggressions. These are macroaggressions. Right. They are not microaggressions anymore. <laughs> Nothing small about it. Nothing small about it. I'm asking about leadership because did you go to the leadership that ran West Point at any time to, to discuss these things if so, what did, it, what did their leadership look like and what was their response? Right. Like? So it's interesting because um, the leadership, the senior leaders at the academy are senior military officers. Mm -hmm. And they have had all kinds of diversity training. And it wasn't called that then. At the time, it was just called respect for others. Um, and they had all kinds of training. And the senior officers got it. They understood what things should be like and what they shouldn't be like. They knew that. It was the cadets coming in from different places and walks of life all over the country who had not been trained, who had not been exposed, who lived in homogeneous communities and went to homogeneous places of worship and homogeneous mm -hmm. schools coming together saying, does that brown skin of yours rub off? Oh. Like, how does that work? Right? So it wasn't the senior officers. So I took a lot of... Um, 
I, I was very comfortable going to the senior officers. Now, I probably should have been intimidated because the people I went to was a three-star general, my superintendent, my one-star general. Uh -huh. you know, I probably should have been intimidated, but I don't think that I even knew to be intimidated. I knew that this was a problem. Right. And I had opportunities to meet with the superintendent at the time. Um, I had tea with his wife. I mm -hmm. had tea with the commandant's wife. Mm -hmm. And they actually, they listened. I would share my concerns and they listened. Not only did they listen, they instituted different policies and practices. They mm -hmm. included more respect for others' training. Right. Um, they allowed me to teach some of the classes. They put me on different committees. Mm -hmm. And here I am as a cadet even as a plebe your first year, mm -hmm. as a yuck your second year, mm -hmm. I still had access to senior leaders and I saw that it made a difference. And mm -hmm. when I made complaints and when I um, shared what the challenges were, they also helped to navigate how to go about making things different. Right. So for instance, we couldn't wear our hair braided. As a black female, you could not wear, white female either, nobody, no braids. Okay. The only thing you could do was a one French braid down the back. Okay. Well, the challenge with that is when you come into the academy, they used to cut your hair. So they cut it short right above the collar. So now I, ask, I can't get, I can't. The way can't, this set up. That ain't go, you ain't can't come under here, but that don't go. Okay. <laughs> and by the time it grew out, just putting it back into a French braid, the texture of my hair is very coarse. It's mm -hmm. not going like, to stay. <laughs> so the upperclassmen, black females, and uh, I was a lower classman at the time, but they took the lead on writing um, a proposed change to the regulations. Yes. And so in 1998, the regulations were approved and we were allowed to wear braids at the academy. Mm -hmm. And I went and I got my braids. <laughs> Now we're talking about cornrows, we're talking about box braids. I had bob braids. braids, yeah, okay. yeah. Because I would have had signalese twists. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I did that too. I did yes. that too my junior year. Yes, yes. So I had braids at the academy. So that goes to show you how long it's taken. Because West Point's been open for quite 1802. some time. 1802? 1802. Yes. So we have all this time until 1998 to to it's and it's not accommodating it's not even accommodating it's being open-minded and right. realizing there are other people who do not look like you whose hairs do not grow like yours right and right. it took all this time right. well women didn't get to the academy until 1976 they graduated the first class in 1980. wow and um yes so <laughs> yeah. so you talk about change and progress it it certainly takes time it, it took time, time. Mm -hmm. So now that you're here and do, doing research on you, I saw that you know you are you received your degrees in um, organizational development and leadership. Yes, organizational. <laughs> come on, organizational <laughs> development leadership. Don't fall, don't sleep on us. Um, you focus a lot with HR mm -hmm. partners and engineering in these yes. top engineer firms. And so, what did? What has the rise from there, because that's great, <laughs> to being Mayor Willenboro, what did that leadership look like climbing to here? Like, right. what has it always looked like to you? For me, uh, the leadership that I've seen from the organizations that I've been in has been overwhelmingly white and over, overwhelmingly male. Right. Um, but if you think about how I got there, coming out of the academy was overwhelmingly white and male. Right. And as a military officer, overwhelmingly white and male. So what I learned how to do was to really work well with 
the overwhelmingly white male leaders that, um, that I had so I could understand and learn and glean and maneuver and navigate to get to a place where I was comfortable and authentic being who I am and understanding how sometimes you have to take a step back to help educate people about the differences and also about what you bring to the table. So yeah, it's different, but it's also an asset to you and here's how. Mm -hmm. And being able to articulate that in a way to try to almost, um, not de-escalate, but to help people not to feel threatened. It's right. almost to disarm. So you're teaching, you, were set, you, you taught white people how to disarm themselves from being scared of black people or people of color. Yes, and that's important. And is that, is that like a notion in the corporate world that you work with oftentimes with white males? Those dangerous. have been my experiences. Dangerous because you're unfamiliar and unknown. And um, all that I know is a stereotypical image that I've seen, whether it be um, Claire Huxtable mm -hmm. or a different type of black woman on a different type of show. And so when people don't have real world lived experiences, often their first response is fear. Yeah. They're just afraid. I think we can agree that um, the previous presidential administration of this country's campaign mm -hmm. has been based on fear. Um, particularly as a Latina, I've witnessed, I've seen the, we're coming over here illegally to mm -hmm. rape your children and women right. and take your jobs. Take your jobs that nobody's wanted. But right, that's the jobs that would remain unfilled. Unfilled. Right. That people rely on regularly. Right. What do you feel like the difference is in this administration? Oh, I am so hopeful. Okay. Because <laughs> you, you remember, like, got the results and was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I, I so can bring you. Hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, President Biden ran on talking about being the soul of the nation and mm -hmm. um, lifting every voice and bringing everyone together. Mm -hmm. And so I am optimistic about mm -hmm. the change. I really believe that as Americans, we have what we need inside of us to be able to go forward, but we need the right leader to help propel us forward. We need the right leadership to be able to unite the country, to bring us together, to find the common good. I think that's critical. Right. And when you have a leader who likes to dwell on things um, where people feel insecure and vulnerable and they uh, use fear-mongering tactics, it really... Well, we saw what happened with the uprising and the, ter the uh, domestic terrorism that happened at our U.S. Capitol. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what happens when you tap into people's fear and you conjure all of that up mm -hmm. and it goes unchecked and wrong information, disinformation, lies, deceit, mm -hmm. that's what happens. Yeah. So I am very optimistic that um, under this current administration, things are gonna look oh, so much better. Lighter, it just yes. feels lighter. I think even the fear mongering has like, okay, that administration is done, and people are like, okay, well, Donald Trump, you know, he's done, stop talking about him. I'm like, no, like, this past week, because of the, the things he said, like, right. a, a place of Asian, you know, business, uh, a business, yes. Asian-owned business was yes. attacked. Yes, that's domestic terrorism. That's domestic terrorism, yes. and people are like, no, well, it's not terrorism, mm -hmm. it's a hate crime. I said, no, we won't call it what, what it, it is. is. It, it, it's, it, it's propelling a, a, a political ideology right. forward. Right. You get what I'm saying? Because he didn't go into an all white community and do this. Right. You get what I'm saying? Right. Like, this is not. And it was more happened. than just having a bad day. It's more than just having a bad mm -hmm. day. 
this is, and I'm not going to sit here and say that mental illness does not exist. We know this, but we're going to stop using that as a, as a reason to absolve right. our white counterparts for the things that they are responsible for doing, especially when it comes to a domestic crime. And my, my heart goes out to like the people in the Absolutely. family, the, families, the Asian yes. community. Yes. And I think it's, I think people don't see the long-term damage. Mm -hmm. Something I always said, you know, people were quick to bring up Biden's long-term damage when he signed the 1992 crime bill. And where I understand that, I think if people looked into it and understood the why a little bit more, they would have a better sense of how bad the times were in 1992. Um, but it doesn't absolve him from that. Right. But we are not going to sit here and just ignore that the previous administration did not have a hand in what just happened this week. I agree. Like, there, there's no way we can just overlook that. So with this administration, it seems like a lot, a big breath of fresh air. Yes. It feels yes. refreshing. A, a sigh of relief. Okay. It feels yes. refreshing. Yes. I'm like, yes. sis, hey, sis. <laughs> that's, I wrote about Kamala Harris in my graduate thesis in 2017. Wow. About just the lack of women of color in leadership. Mm -hmm. And to see her where she is, it's yes. like, yes. I saw this years ago. I wrote about this woman years ago. And now it's just like, what does leadership look like to you now with being in a community that's predominantly black? considering that you've come from an all-white leadership before. <laughs> now this, this, this leadership extra black. <laughs> black mixed with black. Know that. So what does it look like to you now in, and not just in this community, right. but any community in that general. you walk in, in general? What yes. does it look like to you now? It what does it feel like? It feels free. Mm. It feels free. It feels um, more refreshing. I love seeing different expressions of different people, their faith, their sexuality, mm -hmm. um, how they identify themselves. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, years ago, it was not as freeing. If someone was LGBTQ, um, mm -hmm. they would not be as likely to share because of the lack of respect right. um, and the fear. And while some may not, some may not be um, as open now, mm -hmm. they, they could be. It's a bit more trusting in that you can share authentically who mm -hmm. you are. Um, women wearing head coverings, uh, women locking their hair or shaving their hair bald and just walking in their truth and being who they are and seeing more vibrant colors. And mm -hmm. I mean, to me now leadership looks like a representation of um, of our country and we still have work to do mm -hmm. but it doesn't look cookie cutter to me anymore um, no. and many private sector companies it's still a bit cookie cutter we have some work to do but we know that change is on the horizon and we've seen many of the fortune 500 companies and different private organizations making some uh, really some sweeping changes in their organizations, um, the leadership, mm -hmm. the inclusion of the diversity and inclusion officers as chief roles in organizations across the country. Um, so to me, leadership now, it looks more representative of our population as a whole, but we still have work to do. It looks like you. Leadership looks like you. Yeah, does. that's true. <laughs> true. <laughs> but you know, in my mind, I'm just a leader anyway. I'm a okay. leader of myself. Okay. I'm, you know, I don't believe um, so much in waiting for someone to empower me. Right. I believe that the power is within and each person has to power up. Right. Because if you just think about the construct of the word empowered, mm -hmm. 
that means someone has to bestow the power upon you. So who are you waiting on to give you the power that you already have are you preaching? within you? I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't have a collection plate to pass, so. <laughs> I really believe That's that. True. I really believe that. It's so funny, like me and one of my good friends, Kim, you know, Kim, she used to work yes. for you at ATAP. Yes. Yeah, she, you know, now she has a um, creative danger uh, murder mystery company. But when we talked a few weeks ago, we discussed like how, how it is that we don't take control over our mind or our authority that like God has already given us. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we lean on the little voice in the back of our head that says, mm-mm, don't do it, mm-mm, right. you can't. And sometimes I think by default we wait for that voice to empower us and it's not. It's not going to, right. It's not going to. Mm -hmm. And it's important to really like, as it might be said, like cast down all those imaginations right. and really like take up that authority that you have in yourself. That's right, that's right. And we've, we've waited for women, women, white women in particular, we've, we've looked at them as the epitome of what leadership should look like. And then when they don't include us, we're like, okay. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna just be left out of this. And then we have somebody coming up like, say Oprah, who, who challenges the status quo. Right. And then even more, most recently, we have somebody like Meghan Markle mm -hmm. to even speak out on the, the whiteness of, yeah. the, of the, uh, the leadership in the country that she doesn't even live in. <laughs> she doesn't even go here. <laughs> I love her so much, though, for just doing something, something so challenging, something to go against. She's... I don't think Megan realized you're not going against a, uh, a family or a person. You're going against a hierarchy. An institution. An institution. Yes. You, as a woman who identifies as being black, who looks white. <laughs> Whitish. Whitish. Because I looked at her, I was like, oh, she's Puerto Rican. wrong. <laughs> I was like, she's, she's Cuban? They're like, no, they're like, she's black and white. And she I'm, looks like my auntie. <laughs> she she you know, looks like my relatable. Right, yeah. right. So when you see her and you see her, her white husband like stepping up her, yes. and I'm like, that is what breaking white supremacy looks like. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't have to be on us people of color to break white supremacy. I don't gotta teach you about white supremacy. Why am I teaching you, sir, what white supremacy looks like? Y'all built this. You built your world like well, this. And I understand that, but I think that when, uh, when you grow up in a system and a structure, it's very difficult to identify the structure that you're in. Mm. Okay. How do you identify it? So I had read a metaphor a while ago and it talked about how does a fish know that it's in water if it's always only in water? How would, how would, so if someone says, you're always in the water, you're in the water. No, I'm home. I'm home. It's where I belong. Yeah, but this is where, but it is, you do recognize it's water. Oh. Well, well, yeah. Okay, now that you say that, but it's home. It's not, yeah. I'm not going to go on the land. Like this is where, this is my domain. Mm -hmm. And I always, um, wonder for my white colleagues mm -hmm. who, um, who do decide to take a stand and say, wait a minute, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. At what point did that happen? Mm -hmm. Because there has to be an awakening of some sort at some point, 
but it only comes, I believe, if you've been exposed to other things or if you're even curious about how other people live or why. I think it would require a lot of introspection, self-reflection, and acknowledging that you're benefiting from an existing system. So right. if you don't want to deal with that, I mean, that is, that's the hard work. Yeah. To identify that you benefited from a system that you're in, and now you want to break down the system that you're benefiting from? Okay. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds backwards <laughs> to think of it. Why would I do that? 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 Would it make sense? No. So that's, you know, so I understand um, that people, we would say, well, why wouldn't you want to break it down? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you want to challenge? Why wouldn't you want the playing field to be equal? Why wouldn't you want mm -hmm. equity and equality? And why, well, because the, everything is stacked in my favor. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> why, why would I do this for you? <laughs> you know, and so I, you know, it's, I think, it's a, I think it's, very, it's a complex issue. I think it has to be addressed. It has to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. But I do understand the complexity, the challenge, and, um, and why some people struggle with that. Yeah. Mahershala Ali explained a couple years ago that white men and black men, they walk the, the earth differently. Like, yes. They run yes. the earth differently, right? Yes. So... I believe he said white men roam around this earth on offense, yes. like a football team. Yes. Woo. But black men run on defense. Yes, they do. So they know at any point in time they're going to take a hit and that it will interrupt their environment. That's it right. will interrupt where they are in life. But white men, because their world is built off of offense, right. they don't got to worry about that because they're not the ones taking the hit, the black men are. And the T is they don't even know they're on offense. No, they think this is just what this looks like because they don't have any experience that mm -hmm. tells them otherwise. Right. And then when the experience is challenged, not even that the experience may be challenged, the system in itself is challenged, it's a lot of defense coming up, right? We have, we just saw the situation with Sharon Osbourne. Okay. With the situation where um, she's a good friend of Piers Morgan. And so Piers Morgan, about a, a couple of days after the situation with Meghan Markle came out, he, he was explaining how she played him. Mm -hmm. What it sounded like was a man that got played. He was just saying they were out for a couple of drinks. He put in her taxi cab. She went to a club, met Prince Harry. That was a wretch. He never heard from her again. <laughs> I was like, okay, so you mad. Just say you mad. Right, right, just, right. Just say you mad, she curved you. <laughs> people get curved every day B. Like, <laughs> all right. but um he kind of just brings her up with the distasteful conversation and his black co-anchor male he kind of came at him like you're always bringing up Meghan Markle and always saying how you don't like her and how she needs to stop disrespecting the family the royal family and you don't want her speaking on this subject, right? He kind of outed him. Pierce Morgan walks off set, mm -hmm. says he's resigning, all these things. And then you have Sharon Osbourne on the talk. Prior to this, she put out a statement, I stand with you, whatever the case. Then you have the talk. And Cheryl Underwood is trying to explain to her, like, all right, you don't think what you said was racist. 
let me explain to you how it was. And Sharon is snapping at Cheryl. Okay. Who's supposed to be her friend? She's like, look at me, say that was racist. Tell me, teach me. Because this is BS and blah, 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 and going off on a tangent and disrespecting who she calls her friend, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I realized is you didn't, I look at Sharon and I'm like, Sharon, you were so comfortable with this girl's micro, macro aggression. Mm -hmm that you rather her be quiet mm -hmm. and you wanted to side with somebody who was oppressing her to stay quiet than for her to speak her truth about the things that were ultimately affecting her right. from a racist system. Right. You know, the woman said she was contemplating on killing herself. Mm -hmm. The woman said people in her family had conversations and scared about her nervous, her black baby was gonna come out. Right. You didn't want her to talk about that. And, and people don't realize that microaggression in itself is racist. Right. And Sharon Osborne, it went completely over her head. And when I look at people like, say, Amanda Seals, who had a comment about it, Amanda Seals said everything I've always felt. Like, why do we have to educate you on what a microaggression is? You don't have to educate me on being sensitive to Jewish people and the Holocaust, because there is so much behind it. There are so many books and so many histories that you force us to read it as a history, that you force us to put it in the forefront and remember it, and you have museums about it, and you don't want us to forget it. But when it comes to the African descent, you want us to, one, put it as an elective for school, mm -hmm. but put it in the back burner. You never want us to forget the things that happen to you, but when it comes to us, we're always educating ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that happens to be the biggest struggle I deal with now, it just in work. And it's mm -hmm. not even leadership right now. But what happens when they become leaders? Mm -hmm. What happens when these people who you say walk in as cadets right. become sergeants, <laughs> become just generals? Mm -hmm. What happens every time we challenge the status quo, our reputation is demolished. It's, they make sure they stagnant our career. It almost feels like an attack to us. Mm -hmm. It makes sure, I feel like the white supremacist community makes sure that they silence us. And have you ever had that happen to you? I don't think that I uh, felt silence, mm -hmm. but I was fully aware that my voice had consequences. In, so in mm. private sector, yeah. I was very vocal. Mm -hmm. um, very vocal. <laughs> <laughs> she paused and, and said, <laughs> very vocal. And not in a way that would be considered done with disdain or disrespect, but very clear about stating that I recognize what you're doing. And I want you to know that I know that I can see what you're doing. I'll give you an example. Please. I worked for an organization. I loved my job. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a person in the organization, senior person in the organization, and they know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they do. They, um, they said, you know what, um, we want to give you an opportunity to work from home. 
<laughs> yes. Okay, right. I said, okay, that works for me. I'll, let's give it a whirl. So I was excited about the opportunity to be able to work from home and not have to drive to this particular location. Um, not because I didn't like working there, but I get to work from home. And this is before everybody was working from home. So I was like really excited about it. And what I learned quickly is that the person, the, the senior leader in the organization did that to silence me because when I was in the office, I had different employee resource groups that I was engaged with. I was helping develop training and mock interviews. And I was doing a lot to give voice to people who traditionally wouldn't speak up. So guess what? If we move you out of the corporate office home, now you can't um, energize this workforce because now people are asking about their pay increases and they want to know about promotion opportunities and they're pushing back they're stating what their issues are they're filing complaints because they're like wait a minute here hold on mm -hmm. and so once i said oh, okay i see what we're doing here mm -hmm. i made it a point to go to the office even more and they said well, you know you don't have to come in for the meeting. You could just call in. I said, oh, no, no. I like it here. I like coming in. It's refreshing <laughs> to be in the wow. office with my colleagues, and I still stayed vocal. And so now, because you said I could work from home and I still had an office, mm -hmm. I could come in and work as often as I'd like, and I did. And um, so I didn't feel silenced. I recognized the attempt for me to be silent, mm -hmm. but I've never, been, I've never been one that you just push to the corner and sit there and say, okay, you know, we'll just put it right here and she'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So I was able to continue to motivate. We had Zoom back then. Mm -hmm. I still would do Zoom meetings or go-to meetings mm -hmm. and um, bring people together and coordinate events and um, do the training on unconscious bias mm -hmm. and do the training on how we can work together and collaborate mm -hmm. and all of those things. But it was an attempt to, to silence. silence. And I recognized that attempt as a senior leader. Um, I worked at an executive level, so did he. Uh, he had one more step up than me, so he, um, he was able to give me the authority to work from home, but I understood very quickly that it was not rooted in something good. Um, how, so. did you, how did you pick that up? Because you tell me I'm working from home, I'm like straight. Like, cool, thank you. And so I'm just going about my day and working mm -hmm. from home, but how did you recognize that they were trying to play chess with you? Like, at what point did it click like, Okay, I see what you're doing. Some other employees sharing comments yeah. in the break room. Right. Uh, comments about me not being there. Comments they'd overhear about, who good thing, you know, good thing she's not here today. Mm -hmm. um, and they shared it. Mm -hmm. And then I think also for me, because I did miss my groups that I was meeting with and people that I was mentoring, I missed them. Mm -hmm. And also because I knew that when I was there, when I joined that company, people came up to me and they were like, oh my gosh, because there were no black female leaders in the company, the large company. And, um, and so they were just attracted to me and started connecting Same. with me. Yes, and I, at first I was like, what in the world is going on? And they began to talk about how they, don't, they just didn't have any black female leaders there and those that were there previously left after a short stint of time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I realized the need that my presence was valuable. Mm -hmm. So understanding that my presence is valuable and then to be moved to work from home, mm -hmm. I recognized, okay, Something, you know, right. it feels comfortable, but that's often when things are a bit off. When it starts getting very comfortable, you got to start questioning what's happening and why, because you, I knew that I was sent there for a purpose, and I knew I was sent there to help 
you know, other people to have a voice and to find a voice. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to reconcile those things, and then I navigated. I got promoted a few times and mm -hmm. more money along the way. Hello. People leave organizations and new people come in, and you know. But it was, um, I, I truly believe it was an attempt mm -hmm. uh, to silence me. You have this attitude of, you're not going to shut me up. Oh, no. Kind of thing. Yeah, you won't. <laughs> but I love the shade in it. <laughs> and I don't even think you, you try to use it as shade. Like, well, it's not a thing. Do you impose that on your children? Not in a bad way, but it's like you ingrain that in your children. Absolutely. You have a voice. Use your voice. Use your voice, not just for you, but think about the legacy that you're leaving and think about the people who have to come behind you. Mm -hmm. How dare you not use your voice? Right. It's, it's so crazy because I feel like oftentimes as black women, we're like teeter-tottering on the line of like, I don't want to be the woman that sounds like she's complaining about everything, but I also don't want to be the woman that is getting stepped on. I feel like I'm often on that. Okay. I, I can't say black women. Okay, Loveline often feels <laughs> like, <laughs> Loveline often feels like, I feel like I'm complaining about everything, or mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not speaking up enough. And I say that because I just, you know, I remember speaking up, and con me and my good friend Paris, when we worked together in a corporate setting, we just remember all the time getting in trouble every time. We spoke good trouble. Up. Good, okay, as John Lewis would say, okay. good trouble. Yeah. We would get in, we were called into the office all the time. Mm -hmm. Every time we challenged something that wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, after a while, it made me reserved. Like, it, it, I would say, me personally, it didn't break her spirit. Mm -hmm. She left that organization and sent out a letter and read everybody the filth in the most <laughs> professional way Absolutely. about the internal racism. Absolutely. Me, not so much. It felt, I started to, and when I got in trouble again, I felt like it almost broke my spirit. Aww. And it broke my spirit when I started seeing favoritism. Mm -hmm. It broke my spirit when I saw, we want you for this promotion. Mm -hmm. And I go get interviewed and someone with not the degree you asked for. Come on now. <laughs> I'm in that club. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, not the degree you asked for. Yes. Okay, you asked for somebody uh -huh. to speak two languages. She only speaks English. All right, all right. Um, <laughs> You asked for somebody who lives in this county. Cool, me. She lives in Pennsylvania. All right, cool. Um, you wanted them there a certain time. I exceed that. She's only been here a year and a half. Cool. Yes. And so I'm like, until somebody brought it up, like, well, what does she have that she don't? And they're like, white skin, maybe. And I was like, yeah. okay. And, 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 and um, somebody said, well, white skin is submissiveness to the point where she is quiet mm -hmm. and she will do what she says. Right. You're not you're right. Someone who's not a troublemaker. Someone who's not a but troublemaker. But you know what I always say? I don't want to be on a team where the team don't want me. Period. I do not want to be on a team where I am not going to be valued. I don't want it at all. I don't want that. I, I want you to like want that. me. If you don't want me, you did me a favor so I can go find where I'm supposed to be. Right. <laughs> I remember I, um, I've been in the club of being qualified and overqualified and they hired an underqualified or not qualified at all, period. Yes. Yes. I don't make you sense. Know. But, you know, and I remember um, I was asked to interview for a position at an internal, you know, at a company, it was an internal promotion. Right. And um, they chose someone else. Right. And I said, okay. So when Ooh. they hired that person, um, he was just working in a different division of the company. Right. I said, well, let's go to lunch, you know? 
I, let's get to know one another because they made him my boss. So we both competed for the okay. job and he got the job. I stayed in my, you know, my position, but he was elevated to a position um, where he was my supervisor. So we went to lunch and um, he said, well, you pick. I said, okay, I want to go to um, an Indian spot. I love Indian food. Oh, and yes, so we did. And um, we got there. He's like, I've never been, I've ne well, I don't, I don't know. I've never been to an Indian restaurant before. I said, oh, don't worry. I'll walk you through the menu. Yeah. It is so delicious. The people are so friendly. I go all the time. No worries. He was like, well, okay. Right. So we get there and he's like, all right. Well, this is so they're like, hey, Tab. I'm like, hey. He was like, you really eat here a lot. I said, I really do. And every time I come, I bring a new person because it helps right. build their business. Absolutely. And so we're in there, and he was like, I'm already learning from you. And um, I was like, oh, we're just getting started. We're <laughs> <So, laughs> just getting yet. started. And um, we developed a really good working relationship. He gave me a pay increase. He really um, fortified my team, provided different right. opportunities. And, and he said one day, I don't, think he meant, I don't think he recognized what he was saying, but he said, you're, you're not even that bad to work with. You're not anything like they said. And I said to myself, hmm? <laughs> and I knew there was chatter about me because I've, I've always, you know, um, required that organizations do what they say they're going to do. From right? top to bottom. There you go. And so um, it just, it really, I think it, it confirmed what I already knew. He said it. Mm -hmm. He said, I said, Hey, but we had such a wonderful working relationship. Yes, and he knew that I was not trying to take his job. Mm -hmm. I'm here to support you so you look good. Mm -hmm. I, the organization didn't select me, and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. So my job is to help you to succeed. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's why I'm here. We will work together, and I will help you succeed. I've got my team. I had a big team. I had a great budget. It was still a great opportunity, great job, mm -hmm. you know? And I worked hard to make him mm -hmm. look good. And he did. Right. Yeah. But that's leadership development. And whether you, whether you, you were under to, him or yeah. not. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You were saying I, oh, I was just going to say, sometimes you have to manage up. Okay. Manage up. Up. Not down. Correct. Manage up. Correct. I never, I never thought about that like that. It, it's oftentimes I feel like women who may be in that position that you were, people higher up often probably like look at you intimidating. Yes, very and much so. Without getting to know you? Correct. And because my do? credentials mm -hmm. speak for themselves Absolutely. and I use them. And I remember I was on a job, uh, on a job for maybe a few weeks mm -hmm. and there was a white female in the organization who offered to take me to lunch. Okay, mm -hmm. let's, you know, I'd love to get to know you also. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the lunch, we walked back to the office and um, we were going to different elevators because our offices were on different wings of the, of the same building. And uh, she looked back, she said, oh, and by the way, you really shouldn't use doctor in your email signatures. You really shouldn't, it's very off-putting. And I said, um, well, that's how I was introduced to the organization. In fact, my welcome letter Mm -hmm. as well as the letter that went out from my boss to the organization mm -hmm. said, welcome, Dr. Tiffany Worthy. And so I continued with that because that is how I was introduced. I said, I have a doctorate in education and the role that I do is directly aligned with my career field. So it only just adds more value and it shows that I am surely qualified for the job. And well, that title. Correct. And she said, um, <laughs> well, how many, how many doctors do you think are in the organization? 
I said, well, there's one who is finishing up his studies and he'll be going into his dissertation phase as I am mentoring him. Mm -hmm. And then there's you, but your degree isn't related to your role. <laughs> she said, it's not related. <laughs> and there you have it. And they still called me Dr. Dr. Tiffany Ward. That is how the organization regarded me because right. they wanted to make sure people knew my credentials and that they didn't just do a strategic black hire and have a black face in the place. They wanted it to be clear that she has all the credentials that go along with the role that we've asked her to do. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Doctor. See, that's how I'm going to start emailing. <laughs> Doc. And it means more to I me mean, for me. I got my doctor, my grandfather had a PhD in mathematics. So for me, it was important to continue the, the, my journey educationally to finish what he started. So that was something I've been wanting to do since I was a kid. Right. You know, for other people that you think you're this and that because you got this degree. No, I am carrying on a legacy mm -hmm. in my family. Right. That's what I'm doing. Exactly. Now, I don't know what it means to you. <laughs> but for me, mm -hmm. it's legacy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's very, it's very different. Um, when you have to explain to people your work. And oh, I, I don't. Right. Like, why would I do that? Like, I don't do you know what this is? This is a two-carat pair. That's all you need to say. <laughs> two-carat. I'm not going to get into the C, the four Cs. No, I'm just going to put it out. And if you know what a good diamond looks like, then you'll know what it is. Period. People who don't do diamonds won't know what it is, even if you explain it to them. Because yeah. they don't do they diamonds. focus on gem. Come on. They focus on Come them. on. I know my work. Mm -hmm. But it's like... I try not to explain it. So it's like, you ever been caught in between like, do I respond, do I not respond? <laughs> like you ever, yes. I feel like I've often caught in that. Yes. Yeah, like that. I understand that space. It's a weird space. I think it's totally up to you every single time. Do you yeah. want to double dutch or not? What you in the mood for? Do you want to double dutch? Do you dutch want to double dutch? Because you can double dutch mm -hmm. if you want. It mm -hmm. just, I think it really depends on the situation, the context, how you're feeling that day. Yeah. Because someone could say the same thing to you that they've been saying for a long time, but on this day, I just, I, I have something to say back. Today. I'm exhausted. <laughs> In this moment, on this day, I have something to say. And I think it's fair to give yourself permission to decide each time, mm -hmm. how do I want to respond in this situation? And when you don't feel like it, don't. Mm -hmm. Give your, yourself permission to say, not today. Not today, Not, to Go Not and get today. Not today. Not today. And everything doesn't warrant a response. Yeah. No, I've learned that in the hard, the hard way. Aline's <laughs> growing. Jesus is working Ooh. on her. But yeah, in the hard way. I've, I've been offered a position in my old job one time, and literally, like a fool, I'm the higher up who wanted to hire me. I lowballed myself completely mm -hmm. in what I wanted mm -hmm. to stay. And she laughed at me. I got laughed at in my face. She was like, you're never going to get that. Oh, I'll get it. It just may not be from you. <laughs> Man, you, 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 you do know you don't have a, you don't even have a bachelor's. Like, and it wasn't a flex. It was just like, you're asking me to go higher up and you're telling me what I'm not going to get when you know what I just, you know I just graduated. You That's know right. what I just worked That's for. That's right. You know everything I have. I have above the credentials you guys are asking me for. Yeah, but it's you. Yeah. That's what it felt like. That's exactly what it was. And so I literally was like in my car, like crying. And when I told one of my coworkers, she was like, you know you asked to get paid more than her. 
And I was like, I don't care. Like, right. But my credentials are greater than hers. Like, and that's probably why she shouldn't be my supervisor. That's why I don't understand. <laughs> it's a little different when right. you, you know what I mean? With Ooh. the other supervisor, you get to, you get to do what you want. All sorts of things like that, darling. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? How is it being a mayor, a wife, a mom? <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> all of the above, all those things. All um, at once. All at once. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting is it all intersects together. Um, I used to think about it, things being a balancing act, and once I gave myself permission to say it's never going to be a balancing act, it's about the intersection of all those things, it's about those things coming together so that I can be my best self in whatever capacity I have to serve in, um, it felt less overwhelming and felt more like this is who I am all at the same time. Really? And yes. So I don't try to completely separate everything. I used to have a things to do list for each hat that I wore. Right. I mean, I would think that. Yeah. No. So <laughs> now, I don't work that way. It, it really doesn't because your brain doesn't see you as four different people unless you have a diagnosis. Right? Like you don't. Yeah, it's called. Um, schizophrenia right um, like you your brain right. like your, your brain recognizes you as one one being one whole being one whole being and i i understood that for me the tension was trying to separate everything out so the lens that i see things through is a mayor a wife a mom a pastor's uh, a pastor's wife. wife running a nonprofit. right uh, that's my perspective. That's how I view the world. That's how I view policy. That's how I view every interaction with every person. And to try to strip that down and just have one singular perspective while I'm working in a specific role really diminishes the value that I bring because I have all these different perspectives. I'm a combat veteran. I am all those things yes. at the same time. And I'm a black woman. All together, right? So I line those vector forces together, and I think that makes me um, more valuable, more of an asset. It adds more perspective to a topic and to a conversation. Do you ever feel like you spread yourself thin? Um, when I feel like I am going down that path, I start saying more no's. I just, mm. you know, I have learned to say no or not now. Not now, like this is a great idea. It's a great thing to do. Not now, let's revisit this, let's reassess. Um, just not now, it's not no. Like mm -hmm. I stepped away from my corporate job. I love my job, I love my team, um, I love my money, <laughs> I love, you know. Um, but I recognize that once I um, was elected to serve Willingboro, even though it's not a full-time job in terms of your pay, you just get a stipend, mm -hmm. the community needs a mayor full-time. Yeah. People don't care if you have another job. There are things that need to be done. And so much was undone or partially done that really needed much more attention and focus. My family, you know, thought it'd be best to just take a step back from my private sector role for a period, for a season. Right. It's just, for, it's just not now. Now is not the time. And my job was, they were so supportive and so excited, mm -hmm. you know, that I won. It wasn't like, oh no, what are we gonna do? It was, you know, hey, how can we support? What do you need? Let's work through this season together. It's just a season. Right, mm -hmm. and go for it. And go for it. You are the definition of buying the block back to me. Okay, okay. Well, to God be the glory. Okay. <laughs> when, you know, you, I realized in, in conversation with each other that um, 
you bought your own building mm -hmm. to to have ATAC. Yes. Yes. That took a lot of bravery. You think so? Mm -hmm. You don't think so? I don't think so. You think so? Yeah. Hmm. When I'm in New York City or mm -hmm. Philadelphia, I'm always looking at these tall buildings. Yeah. I'm always wondering the entire building who, how many of them are black. Mm -hmm. And we're talking skyscrapers. When I look in Philadelphia, um, I look at the economic, disproportionate economic struggle, especially in North Philly when I see like Kensington area. Mm -hmm. So I look at one side of the tracks is very Polish operated and owned. Mm -hmm. They own these buildings. And a lot of times they don't, they don't allow blacks or Hispanics to live in these buildings. Okay, okay. But then you cross the tracks and then you see a lot of white owned properties filled with poor blacks and Hispanics. Oh, wow. Riddled, you know, filled with a lot of um, poverty and filled with a lot of drugs and everything like that. And the opioid crisis mm -hmm. has overtaken all of Philadelphia. But beyond that, I just, when I see a woman like you who's bought a building <laughs> in Willingboro to get back to the future of Willingboro, mm -hmm. that's what buying the block, the block back is to me. And that's courage. Besides money, like besides <laughs> finances and managing, mm -hmm. it's courage. Um, sometimes, me personally, and I know people who feel this way, a lot of times leasing is comfortable. Leasing oh. is comfortable, you don't have so much responsibilities mm -hmm. if something happens. But so much liability or dependability. You have the, mm -hmm. you're dependent on someone, and that I don't do so well with. That whole dependency. Mm -mm. That no, that doesn't work for me. I want my own. Thank you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I want my own. I'll this isn't working own. for me. And my um, where in my previous location uh, before we purchased the building, which mm -hmm. used to be a bank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Farmers in the previous, yes, before, um, before the lease for me was not comfortable because I knew that I was overpaying. Yeah. And um, for many reasons, but I knew that I was overpaying. Mm -hmm. And um, I could, I knew that it was temporary. I knew what I wasn't going to do was renew the lease. I knew that I had a four-year lease, and I knew I wasn't renewing. What we're not going to do is renew. where it. I'm going and how it was going to manifest and how God was going to bring it all together, I didn't know that. But I did know that I would not be. Oh, this is. Oh, I'm sorry, but I thought you were saying raise your volume. Yeah. Up. I'm like, oh, hold on. We can edit that. I'm listening. You're fine. That's fine. We'll edit. It slide up. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, babe. Okay, go ahead, Tiffany. I knew that I wasn't going to renew the lease. That part I knew. Mm -hmm. And it was that uncomfortable. And I said, I don't know how this is going to work out. And then the building across the street from me went for sale. <laughs> and that's that it went that. for sale. And I said, well, that's my building. Went yeah. after it, and, um, and we bought it. And the timing was so interesting because it was um, before the pandemic was declared a pandemic. Right. I went to closing March 20th, 2020. Okay, 2020. <laughs> and then the world shut down two weeks later. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, the 29th, if I'm not correct. <laughs> My goodness. The world shut down right after. Um, and God used that timing 
to cover me and mm -hmm. my business as we relocated okay. and we had to have construction done and pulling permits and it was a whole process to get the building ready and um, I was like well God you know if this be your will you then will um, you you will make a way I don't I I don't have the responsibility of figuring that out once I obey mm -hmm. what God has said to do it's not my job to figure out how it's all gonna come together my job is to do what he said to do and I did that. You're preaching to me. <laughs> okay. I love it. It does require bravery, and I'm proud of you, and I'm so happy for you. Yes. Well, thank you. Yeah. Sometimes when you're living your own life, you, don't, you just don't have the same perspective of it that others have. For me, it was the business sense, right? Mm -hmm. like it, to me, it was a no-brainer. Like, if you're going to pay four times the amount per month, four times the amount, four. Did I say four? Yes, four times the amount for a lease and still be responsible for energy and security and water and, uh, and landscape responsible. Yes, and landscaping and snow removal and everything. Like I said, I was paying more for many reasons, right? That's, yeah. So if I don't want your business to thrive, I will um, crush you, <laughs> find ways to do so. Right, that's, right. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. So it's okay. It worked out so well, and it actually showed me um, how viable the business was. I mean, as a nonprofit organization, to be able to carry those lease payments, you know, for that period of time, to have to grow your business and to have to have enough capital to stay in business mm -hmm. is, I think, the plight of any small business owner. Mm -hmm. And with the nonprofit, oh my goodness, <laughs> so it was so challenging, but, uh, but it worked out well and we're still thriving and, yeah, you are. Um, and I love it. I'm so happy for y'all. <laughs> I'm really so happy for you. Aww. I think that's big. Well, thank you. It is such a big, bold move. <laughs> and the kids still need it in Willenboro. So many kids in Willenboro. Now I'm looking at the crime rate going up and the senseless crimes that are happening, and I'm just like, if we just had more people who invested in these children, mm -hmm. I'm not saying it would be a solution, but it would be a factor in a solution. You know what, I think, um, depending on what your childhood experiences have been, Absolutely. Uh, you may or may not be inclined to actually see the children as the future, hmm. because nobody may have done that for you. You don't even know to look to the children as your future. You're not consciously thinking about what can I do to pave the way? What can I do to give back? What can I do to build the young people? I tell the young people all the time, you are the future and the future is now. The future is right now because I'm, I'm talking to six-year-olds and seven-year-olds. They are the, it's, so for them, it's the right now. If we keep talking about the future as this abstract thing to come, then nobody ever feels responsible or accountable for it. And we keep missing the target if right. we continue to do that. Right. So the future is now. It's right now. And so I feel compelled to do all that I can to shore up their foundation, to make sure that they have a solid start, to let them know that they can be anything that they believe that they can be. Right. One of the students today said, Dr. Tiffany, when I'm an adult, I'm going to own ATAP. <laughs> and I said, oh, my gosh. Thank you. I was wondering <laughs> who was going to keep this going. I am so excited. And I texted his mom and was like, we call him Dr. Keith. He's eight years old now. Yeah, that's right. Yes. 
Dr. Keith said that when he becomes an adult, he wants to own ATAP. And I told her, I am so happy. I'm mm -hmm. relieved. Mm -hmm. I'm inspired that he wants this. He wants yes. to do this. And I told him, not only are you going to own an ATAP, you're going to make ATAP better. You're going to have ATAPs all across the country. Right. And he was like, I can do that. I said, you sure I can. can. He's eight years old. That to me is so important. When children start speaking life and talk about the things that they want to do, the vision that they have, we have to speak life into them and help them as they grow to say, no, you absolutely can do that instead mm -hmm. of, oh, uh, you're not going to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. and no, encourage them. And mm -hmm. then they would either, either he'll own an ATAP or he'll start his own school or he'll, he'll know Something. he can do anything he puts his mind to. Mm -hmm. He'll know he'll be limitless. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why it's called All Things Are Possible. Okay, Ella, <laughs> that's the name. So, you said you're going through the seafood. You want to stick to that? Hmm. <laughs> I do love seafood. Yes, <laughs> I do love seafood. I love a good bone and ribeye also. You heard that, Bex? So, we need... Okay. I do love that. You need, you need some, but some good quality, fresh seafood. Oh, it's a game changer. It really is. It makes a difference. Mm-hmm. That's you, what I love. So you get good seafood. You know good seafood. You're from the D.C. area originally, so I trust your word on good seafood. <laughs> yes, yes. I trust your word on good seafood. <laughs> All right. What is the most influential book you've read ever that still, like, applies to you today? It's gonna sound so cliche. No, no. You gonna say "Becoming" by Michelle Obama? So I know that would be cliche, <laughs> but that is an excellent read. <laughs> I'm gonna say the Bible. I re it's a classic. It's timeless. I love it. Mm -hmm. I start my day off with it every day, to be able to do what I need to do for God every day. I have to hear from Him, and that's how He speaks us through His Word. And for me, it just comes alive. Like when you're reading different stories, it just literally comes to life and when you're navigating different situations, gotta just bring back to you what you've read and oh, this is what people did before, so you don't wanna do that because they messed it all up, so you need to go in this direction, <laughs> this the way. And so um, I, I, love, I love reading the word of God. That really inspires me every single day. Likewise, likewise. Okay. What is your favorite song? Well, you played it earlier. You oh. already know. <laughs> Y'all don't know what her favorite song is. Mm -hmm. Tell them. It's J. Cole, Love Yours. Know that. Love Yours. Girl, my baby. I, radio version, though. Radio, the, the, the radio <laughs> edit. Version. There you go. There you the, go. Your kids can listen to it version. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love music. I right. love music. Yeah. Did you sing? Well, I could, you know, do something. Girl, I heard you sing. You sing. I can dance. I'm very good at dancing. Mm -hmm. I'm a trained dancer. I love to dance. Um, rhythm tap is my forte. And I think it's the musicality of the rhythm tap mm -hmm. um, that just really helped me in, as I navigated life and hear songs in my head and connect to different notes. And I don't know. Music to me is just so powerful. It's transformative. Right. So, yes. Right. Okay. Um, you have this such upbeat version of yourself <laughs> that walks through the door. What is your, I, I imagine we all have our moods, you know, our mind doesn't allow us to just be happy all the time because life circumstance, right? Right, right. 
So what is your mood when you're up front to everyone, talking, speaking engagements in the office as a mayor, as a corporate leader? What is your mood when you bring, what do you bring to the forefront as your mood? I would say my mood is authenticity. Being unapologetically authentic to myself so that I can um, navigate, so that I can do what needs to be done and really, really thinking through the different experiences that I've had to be able to be present in a moment and connect with people in that moment on that topic. Um, so that authenticity component for me, I think that's what I, I think that's what I bring. That's what I offer mm -hmm. um, with dignity and with respect. Mm -hmm. What's your mood behind closed doors? Let's see, I'm very pensive. I think through a lot of different things. I enjoy strategy work. That's the space that I, I love. Um, that's the spaces where I get lots of money to work in. <laughs> and it's a natural space for me, just thinking through things, the cause and effect of things, how we got here, how do we move forward. Um, just a very, just very pensive. Mm -hmm. So it can feel a bit heavy to those who prefer the lighter, Funner, yeah. Or if they prefer who they see just day to day as I'm engaging the world, but right. I engage the world in that way because I put a lot of thought into who I am and what I want to do and how. Right. And you know, so I think um, behind the scenes, my family would say she's very pensive. She thinks a lot. She's always just thinking through things and mm -hmm. mindful of how others are being treated or how mm -hmm. others are being perceived and received. And mm -hmm. so very thoughtful. You remind me of Stacey Abrams. I'm uh, reading her book now, Lead from the Outside. Okay. And so she talks about like her being the person who wrote down every goal that she was gonna do, mm -hmm. including being governor of Georgia. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. Breaking it down piece by That's piece, right. thinking, overthinking, thinking again, learning, unlearning, relearning, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. that process, just doing it over again. So I always think of you like that, like okay. that attitude mm -hmm. of, just going for it, mm -hmm. being that pensive person isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just a person that breaks down the details so That's that right. they can get through. Oftentimes it's a survival tactic. Oftentimes it's just a life builder. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've done all that and then some. Oh, you're very kind. I give all glory and honor to God. Amen. And um, all of this I, I give to him. Amen.